You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. You, you feel this this nervousness on the phone there? Sir, I've been trying to make an urgent phone call up there. Well, I don't think it's something I want to do on an overseas phone. You got to make some phone calls. Hang up the phone. Prank caller. Prank caller. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Packernet After Dark. This is the call-in show of the Packernet Podcast Network. If you'd like to call in and participate in this here program, please feel free to do so. The number here is 608-501-0718. New callers go directly to the front of the line. We do have at least one new caller. Let me peruse and see. A 1265 fan always throws me off. I'm like, oh, there's one. No, it's not. All right, well, let's get it going. What's up, new caller? Hey, Ryan, this is Kyle from the land of lining kugels. All right. Hey. I guess I was just wondering, I heard on a couple other podcasts about them talk about the NFL draft being the Comic-Con for NFL fans. I was wondering, did you remember back in the day when they had Pac Fan Fest there at Lambeau Field? And did you ever go? No. Nope. Also, I was just wondering, how the other podcasters and such, do you ever get in contact with any of them or hang out with them or anything else? Well, just like yours, you like to say. Thank you. Bye. Um, no, I have not been to that said festival. Um, as far as the podcaster thing, not really. I think we all know of each other. Some might be more chummy than others. Um, I wouldn't say it's, doesn't seem to be a super tight community, although it's generally friendly. Um, I I was thinking that would be kind of cool, not that it would would ever happen, but if there was like a big event or a big, you know how they have like media row or whatever they call it, it'd be cool if there was like a big media row, but it was for Packers podcasters. You know what I mean? And we set up like a certain area, maybe the Packers could get, I mean, hey, you know, we've been working hard. I got between, uh, what do we got here? 1,735 episodes. I think I have about 250 Packernet After Dark episodes. So that puts me right at about, in total, 2,000 episodes talking about, covering, supporting, promoting the Green Bay Packers. So, I don't think it would be too much to ask if there were like a certain area of like Radio Row for Packers podcasters or YouTubers or whatever, just just creators. And it's much more of a, instead of like media, the big media thing where you're not allowed to go, you can come right up to us. We all get our little little booth set up with cameras and whatnot and heck we can maybe even get a little smoker in the background get a little extra attention get jacob working that he knows how to do all that stuff he'd have to figure out how to do it on on like a weber grill but you know i'm sure he could figure it out but i thought it would be kind of cool to do something like i've i've pondered things that i thought would be cool if there was like a packers podcaster or creator event um i don't know i thought it would be kind of cool but I, i i never have and will not pursue that it's not interesting enough for me to try. But if it existed and it was a thing, I would participate in it. Am I saying that I want to be paraded out to the 50-yard line? That I should be uh, calling out the Green Bay Packers pick because I've done more to support the Packers than any other creator out there with the exception of maybe like Aaron Nagler? No, I'm not saying that. Do I have more content out there than any single human being? Yeah, probably. But it's not about me. It's only like 90% about me. It's 10% about everybody else that put in work. (laughs) I'm kidding. I would hate that. 
I don't want the freaking spotlight, man. That's why I have a podcast. I sit here by myself, talk to myself, and you guys tune in to find out what I said when I talk to myself. Anyways, back to the top of the order, we got Joe. Hey, Ryan. Hey. Joe the janitor. Hey, Joe from the janitor from Connecticut. Uh, real quick call. All right. Just wanted to touch in on something that other callers are talking about. Yep. Uh, as far as candy bars go, um, I know Reese's peanut butter cups. You know that? Everyone's a big fan of the Reese's peanut what? butter cups. And I'm pretty sure that um, you said that Reese's doesn't make any candy bars. But, um, that, yeah, that's completely false, considering the fast take. It's pretty much uh, Reese's peanut butter cup with um, some nugget in it. And then there's um, the Nutrageous, which is a Reese's peanut butter cup with um, caramel and peanuts. And there's multiple other ones they've made along the way. Um, a big fan of Reese's peanut butter cups. I'm just saying. They definitely make a candy bar, and it would, if it's not in the top three, um, and, and I'm not talking about their candy bars, just Reese's peanut butter cup. It's it, it's a cup, but it's still a candy bar. It comes well, in a two pack. It's not about a bar. the same weight and volume. You know what I it's mean? Not a, it's not a bar though. Anyway, it's a candy it's cup. like saying um, I don't know. Yeah, exactly. I really don't have exactly. an analogy right now. I'll there call is, back Shalom. No, there's no analogy. It's not a candy bar because it's only 50% of being a candy bar. It's a candy cup. Now, um, I'm. this is interesting, the Reese's Fast Break, so that would, that would qualify. It's in bar form. It is different, though. I've never had one. Um, I'm sure I've heard about it, probably some commercial that I was ignoring. But it's got some, like, crunchy material it looks like on the bottom so it's not i don't know i'd have to try it and see but you listed off a bunch of others i I don't exactly know let me actually let me just try this reese's candy bars i don't know what do we got here nutrageous see what i mean like i just want a reese's cup in bar form Ooh, what is this this is just this says just reese on it just like a knockoff brand <laughs> peanut butter in pure milk chocolate that looks amazing i don't know what this is i'm just looking at pictures it's reese's minus the apostrophe s it just says reese and it's got like the carmelo it's just one bar but it's i guess like hershey's where you know how you can like break them off uh but it's got a real narrow cut so i don't know if you can break it off that easily but um yeah it's just chocolate and it looks like peanut butter on the inside and actually no i don't know limited edition it's got like the the graphics on it make me think it's from like 1982 funny enough i'm seeing reese's that have the exact same picture but it has the apostrophe s on it reese's candy bar i, I need to get my can you buy a reese's candy bar or is this like a discontinued thing see because i see like reese's crispy crunch that's not reese's though i mean it's like we're gonna take reese's and ruin it and then turn it into a bar like just give me a peanut butter cup in bar form all right for freaking crying out loud. I got to figure out what it just says. It says Reese's giant on the corner. It says uh, milk chocolate Reese's filled with Reese's peanut butter. Can I buy this on Amazon? I'm on Amazon. I'm seeing fast break. Oh, there it is. Reese's peanut butter bar. Hold up. Hold up. Wait a minute. Got to buy it in bulk. 12 of them. <laughs> it's a 12 piece. 
All right. Well, there you go. See, well, all we're doing now is we're taking Reese's and putting it back into the candy bar conversation. And I think it's going to be in the conversation, unless they messed this up and it's some kind of a weird um, flavor to it or something. But if this is just Reese's in a different shape and we can put it back into that conversation, I think it's got a real shot at making top three. It's amazing. I don't. I didn't know uh, this was a thing. They also have uh, they they have a billion different things. Obviously, there's the eggs, which I kind of forgot about, but those are delicious. I'm talking about it like it's gonna be. It's it's like pasta. Like I don't like noodles in that shape. I like the spinny shapes. It's freaking pasta, dude. All the Italians Italians are just getting furious with me right now. Noodles are noodles are noodles. All right. Hey Ryan, Kyle hey. from Madison. What's going on, bro. Beautiful Saturday here. I'm putting about eight yards of mulch down. My garden. That's a lot of mulch. We actually just did that in our house, and it was um, nowhere near that much. Curtains, listen to the podcast. Uh, Wayne, Wayne from Illinois or Indiana, I'm sorry, kind of went out, but I appreciate his calls. He was just commenting on, uh, you guys were talking about standing up versus sitting down versus let's make some noise at the games, etc. We know the conversation. We've been having it for years. And there's been something I've been wanting, meaning to, to talk to you about kind of along the same vein. And what it is is, yes, all those things are true, and yes, there's people that just don't don't get up for the game like they need to and don't maximize that home field. The flip side of that is, so for the last several years, and I don't know what, what's going on here, but you know how we've had these singular events happen where the games turn. You can just feel it. You know, when James fumbles against... The box, or I would say probably the Kevin King coverage breakdown. Yeah. You just kind of knew it. When Mercedes Lewis fumbled against the Niners, everybody's like, oh, here we go, right? And I would argue, some people would say Jones fumbled against the Lions. I was at that game. And no, that was not the turning point of that game. And uh, I, I would say, you know, what took the crowd out of that game? I was there. Here's what it was. It was when we went for that idiotic fourth down in our own territory. We had the game under control. It was early in the game, but we were looking good. And we call this ridiculous end around to Lazard on fourth down, and we just get the Lions the ball. I, I have to tell you, I've never been at a game when fans just looked around at each other and were like, well, that's, we're going to lose. It felt like such a slap in the face. It really did. Like, I've never experienced kind of that group pan-to-forehead moment like that before, especially not at Lambeau. But, I mean, I do think, though, you know, the coaches and the play callers, you know, they need to kind of, I'm not saying you game plan around the crowd, but, you know, it is a factor. So maybe try not to take everybody out of it with your play selection. Because that was the moment, I'm telling you, where it got about 30 degrees colder at that game, and the doubts crept in, and the players could feel it. So some of the responsibility for keeping the, the crowd in the game, I do think, though, has to fall on some of the coaches, doesn't it? Maybe not. But that kind of thing just felt like such a slap in the face. Like, why are we doing this? We're cheering our butts off. It's freezing cold out, and we're just doing stupid stuff out there. So I wanted to vent. Um, I think that's fair. I think it's a separate issue, though. I don't really think that that's connected. Um, in other words, I, I I wouldn't 
say that it's a raucous crowd, but with terrible coaching all the time, the, the, the energy slowly drains. My personal experience, which has been limited, but my personal experience is there's really a very major lack of energy. Um, and, and that's probably, I, I'm not saying it's the worst in the world because I've only been to a, a handful of games, but I know in Buffalo, I was on my feet a lot, very loud, very raucous crowd. In St. Louis, it was like going to the opera. Everybody just sits. Obviously, there's no St. Louis anymore, and probably for good reason. But, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, there's a human element to it as far as being discouraged. I mean, they, they talk about it in every game. It's a, it's, it's a goal of opposing teams, of away teams, to take the crowd out of it, especially very loud crowds. You want to get out early, right? Give us the ball, get down the field, score a touchdown, because human nature, all that excitement kind of gets drained, and it's hard for some people to um to kind of keep going now i think that's a bad excuse i think if you're there you should cheer it helps your team why would you not but i I do get it but no my, my issue is more of just a general cultural thing you do not stand or really make any noise on first down or second down you do it on third down and usually the crowd doesn't even start to rev up until the offense the opposing offense gets to the line of scrimmage and at that point it's too late because by the time the ball gets snapped there's really no noise the last time i went to a game i was the only one that stood and screamed i made noise on first and second down but i wouldn't stand i didn't want to stand up because i'd be in somebody's way but on third down i'm up and i'm screaming and i'm the only one i look like a freaking weirdo and that shouldn't be the case but it's you know it, it takes time. Everybody's got to slowly get up. Like okay, fine, it's third down, but they're not even to the line yet, dude. First of all, it should be at maximum volume by the time they get to the huddle. That's one of the benefits. So as soon as second down is over, even though we should be making noise in first and second as well, but fine if you don't feel like it because you're tired or whatever the problem is, then fine. As soon as second down is over, get up and get loud. Because again, the, the last game I went to, I remember they, they just hurried to the line of scrimmage and the, the, the crowd basically never got loud. That's how they just got around the crowd noise because the crowd was so slow to get up and start making noise because the crowd didn't even hardly start making noise until they got to the huddle. So they would just hurry up to the line, snap the ball, and there was no noise. That, there was no, we weren't, there's nothing to be discouraged about. Had nothing to do with that. It was just, it's a cultural thing. And I wish it was different. That's all I'm saying. Like, like I, I was stunned when I went to a game. Said this a thousand times probably, but I went to a game and I was standing there and I was just cheering. And somebody yelled, sit down. And I was like, what? And I looked around, everybody sit. I couldn't believe it. I just thought you stood for the whole game. Why aren't you standing? Why are you sitting? I don't understand why you would sit for a football game. I was, I was just dumbfounded that I was being told I had to sit for the whole game. And I sat there on a chunk of ice and considering the amount of alcohol I consumed and the amount of warm clothing and layers that I was wearing, the fact that my whole body was numb, especially from the waist down, because I was, I, I'm, I'm not kidding, it's metal bleachers that were covered in probably four inches of ice. I couldn't feel my feet, but I wasn't allowed to stand up. I had to just sit there. That was just so stupid to me. I can sit at my house on a comfortable chair or couch in a weather-controlled environment with 65 different cameras showing replays and every single angle of the game from up close. Why do I have to drive all the way up there in the freezing cold and sit on an ice block 
where I can't even move left or right because there's people smashing me in, and I can't even stand up. I can't, I'm, at my house, I stand and cheer. I don't even sit in my own house. I pace back and forth. I'm yelling at my TV. You go to the game, though, you got to sit and be quiet. What sense does that make? I don't understand that. Completely senseless to me. If you want to sit comfortably and be quiet, stay home. People wait 50, 60, 70 years, whatever the heck it is, to get your tickets so you can sit there and just be a curmudgeon? <laughs> what do you even want the tickets for? Let somebody else have it that actually wants to be there and have fun. You can buy a whole, you know, 12-pack of beer for the price that you can get one cup of beer at the Packer game, so, you know, the heck is the benefit of this? What are we doing here, folks? Got a football question and a non-football with the question or just a thought. Okay. Football is uh, Romeo Dobbs his role in the offense. You're thinking about where he's going to take the majority of his snaps and or what you see his role being. Let's say the very best version of Dobbs Reed and Watson all show up. And he's got three great guys. So you really are giving them all playing time. I think Reed played a lot on the outside in college, and it sounds like they really are trying to, you know, get him acclimated to playing the slot in the pros. Although I think 2020, he played a large number of snaps in the slot. But Dobbs, I mean, what's, what is Dobbs at his best? He, you know, supposed to be more that short area possession receiver. What role are we looking at here? Second topic. Um, all right, a couple things. I wanted to look that up about Jaden Reed because I think you're right. I saw that somewhere, but I don't exactly remember. Yeah, so the last two years... So he, he started at Western Michigan and then three years at Michigan State. The last two years in the slot, it was only 22 and 16% in the slot, not very much. In 2020, however, it was 76% in the slot. And while he's, and at Western Michigan, it was 98.3 from the slot. So he was, like, I've never seen numbers that high when he was at Western Michigan. Then he goes to Michigan State. And, you know, again, you're, you're kind of the new guy. You get shoved in the corner, or in this case, the slot. And then as either guys leave or as you kind of um, assert yourself more, you know, 2021 was his big breakout year. Suddenly, you're the top wide receiver, and it goes from 76% down to 16%. Anyways, what role are we looking at with Dobbs? I really just think it's going to be uh, um, a rotation. The, the question is... Where is it going to be leaning more? So obviously you're going to have three wide with Dobbs, Watson, and Reed in the slot. And there'll be some variation of that, but that's probably going to be the primary. If you're going three wide, that's the look. And then I think it's going to be, you know, you're going to see Watson and Dobbs. You're going to see Watson and Reed. You're going to see Reed and Dobbs. And probably some other things. You know, you'll, you'll see the tight ends out. You'll see some Samori Ture out there or, or whoever. But I guess the question is kind of what the um, percentages of those things are going to be. Like is Dobbs is is it going to primarily be Dobbs and Watson, or is Reed going to be able to assert himself? And it's like the primary is going to be Reed and Watson. Either way, I think Watson is going to have a a primary role in the offense, even if he isn't seen as one of the top talents, which I think he probably will be, just by virtue of what he does with his speed and what that does to the defense and how that opens things up, especially with our tight ends and everything else. I think he's going to play a primary role in the offense and be out there a lot. But um. 
let's see, I'm trying to think what your specific question was about Dobbs. What is Dobbs at his best? So let's look at that for a second. Because again, Dobbs really was not super fantastic in, in terms of like his PFF grade. And again, there's there's reasons for that. He started off pretty well. He got injured and even Matt LaFleur said, you know, he, he wasn't himself when he came back. He wasn't the same guy that we saw, but I'm starting to see it again, right? So there's two ways that we can look at this. The first is how did he look in the beginning of the season and what does that look like over the course of an entire season? And then the second that I would like to look at is guys who took second year leaps who started off kind of where he was in year one. So it's kind of uh, difficult to see here. And it actually looks like, I don't, I don't know if that would even be true. Romeo Dobbs really started to fall off around the time the Packers did. It was that, and I've mentioned this before, that weeks four, five, six, seven, that gauntlet of games that was way harder than it should have been. That was his worst period, right? So week three was kind of his breakout, eight targets, eight receptions, 73 yards and a touchdown. Like, holy crap, this is pretty cool. New England game, it was eight targets, five receptions, 47 yards and a touchdown. He had a 52 grade. Against the Giants, it was a 55-9 receiving grade. Jets, 47. Then Washington, it was down to a 44. But I think that was the game that he was injured. Then when he came back, he's is actually better the second half uh, in terms of like grades, even though the, the yards weren't quite as good. 75, 78, 86. Then 62, 71. And Detroit was his worst at a 35. So in terms of that narrative, he was really good. Then he got hurt and he wasn't as good. I don't see that here. He had a... a a bad patch. And in fact, let, let me just try this. I want to just remove the bad patch and see what Romeo Dobbs looked like outside of that. Let me just cut out that tumor of a four-week period. I may have done this already, and I don't think it was as impressive as I thought, but let's try it again. Mel, he would still be our lowest-graded receiver, but he had a 64.4 and a 64.6 receiving grade. That would be 51 targets, 34 receptions for 349 yards and two touchdowns, playing 11 games. But if we, for the heck of it, also remove week 18, which, I mean, you could do this with any wide receiver, but I'm just saying, remove that. He becomes our number one receiver with an 80 overall grade, 36 targets, 30 receptions, 328 yards, two touchdowns. So I, I guess one positive spin you can put on this, not that it necessarily means anything, but because again, you could apply this to almost anybody, but the, the issue is consistency, right? He had a bad four game stretch and then one bad game. I don't know what happened in that four game stretch. I'm not sure, but we did see some good stuff from him. And in fact, our entire wide receiver group gets better when you remove that four-game stretch in the last game against Detroit, which I guess makes sense because the freaking Packers sucked in those games. So with more consistency, and, and really that could just mean, it. you know, I mean, look at the games outside of that. It's not like every game is perfect. There's 60s involved in it. Let's just cut out some of the 30s and 40s. If we can just get that consistency where we don't see those just abysmal games, he can be a, you know, just from a PFF standpoint, one of those 75, 80 overall grade type of guys, which, you know, if, if the, in that range, I mean, um, a 75.6, so the, the lowest grade above a 75.0 is Mike Evans, who is the 31st best wide receiver. So that's a number one, right? And again, what we need is, is more consistent. It's not we need more elite necessarily. It's just let's just cut out some of the just trash. Here is something maybe a little bit less um, exciting for you. Uh, I went and looked at last year's wide receivers that graded out roughly the same. Um, Romeo Dobbs had a 62 overall grade. Here are all the grades from the 2021 class that had similar rookie 
seasons. Um, Shai Smith went from a 61 down to a 52. Michael Strachan went from a 61.7 to a 61.7. No movement at all. Des Fitzpatrick just basically didn't play again. Uh, he was a fourth rounder. Uh, Nico Collins, a third rounder, went from a 65 to a 72. So he did actually get better. So there's one. Rashad Bateman. Bateman. I don't know why I put a T at the end there. Uh, he was a first round pick. He went from a 64 down to a 61. So that sucks. Amir Smith Marset. Uh, again, not playing a ton, but from a 65 down to a 42. Josh Palmer, 63 to a 65. He basically stayed the same. Another third-round pick. It's mostly third-round picks. And then, I hate to do it to you, Amari Rogers had almost identical PFF grades as a rookie and went from a 58 to a 64. And um, that 64 probably mostly because of what he did with the Texans. So Nico Collins is the model, but it's sort of outside the norm. He's a third-round pick. Um... He had 33 receptions, 446 yards, and a touchdown. Similar grades, similar stats. I mean, Romeo was a little bit better. He had about, you know, a dozen more receptions, 100 more yards, and and two more touchdowns. But uh, then went on to get better the next year and um, was basically what I was talking about. He didn't, his highest graded game was a 75.9. He still ended up with a 72 overall grade simply because he cut out all the bad stuff. So we all have very high expectations for Romeo, and I hope he meets it, but he, he's sort of breaking a mold if he does do that, which is part of the reason I'm leaning on Jaden Reed a little bit. Number one, because I just really like the guy, and I think he's an unbelievable talent, and I think, you know, I, I, I'm not going to go down that route, but I just think we, we are assuming too much about Romeo. Romeo Dobbs is a fourth-round draft pick, and I know that doesn't necessarily mean anything, but there are very, very few very, very good wide receivers that were drafted in the fourth round even less that were drafted in the fourth round and had very mediocre rookie seasons you know we all want him to be Amon Ra St. Brown that fourth round pick Amon Ra had an 80 receiving grade as a rookie 912 yards and five touchdowns so I don't think he's Amon Ra St. Brown you know Tyreek Hill was a fifth round pick yep he was an 80 as a rookie Stephon Diggs was a fifth round pick yep he was an 80 as a rookie Cooper Cup was a third round pick 80 as a rookie this is the grades that they had as rookies. They're all in the 80s, or right at 80 for like all of them. Keenan Allen was a third-round pick, 86.4 as a rookie. Terry McLaurin, very good wide receiver, third-round pick. Yep, 86.5 as a rookie. Tyler Lockett was a third-round pick. Yep, 76.4 as a rookie. Everybody else is pretty much first-round picks. So we are hoping for Romeo Dobbs to massively break the mold and... Um, become a fantastic wide receiver and there are some certainly remarkable uh, reports coming out of green bay wisconsin but if anybody's wondering why i've planted my flag on Jaden reed with romeo dobbs as sort of the number three just from a strictly you know let's let's call it snap count standpoint i think it has to do with the upside of Jaden reed and i think maybe what i view to be a ceiling of romeo dobbs just my personal opinion though all right what was the next thing let you pause. Yep, got it. Detroit style pizza. Do you know anything about it? Yeah, um, I think my only real understanding of Detroit style pizza would be it's actually a Wisconsin-based pizza company, but it's Rocky Rococo, and I don't know if it's exactly the same, but it's got that same like raised crust square 
kind of thing, which I thought was super weird the first time I went there. I mean, it's fast food pizza, so I, I, I'm not trying to say that this is authentic, great stuff. It's fast food, but just in terms of like seeing it and being like, oh, this is a thing. That's weird. Thick square pizza. And yeah, I've, I've seen it. I know you sent me the pictures and I've, I've been aware of it. Um, but that would be pretty much the extent of my understanding of it. And I, I know like the picture you sent me had the sauce on top. I don't know if that's a part of it, but yeah, I, I know it's a thing. I am kind of a fan. The deep dish square cut pizza. They put the sauce on top of the cheese. Oh, it's like Chicago style. With the toppings. Sometimes I think they put the toppings underneath the cheese, but I don't think that detail is necessarily important. No. Sauce goes on top. And it sounds like that's an important distinction, and it's really not. The, the biggest, I guess, identifying factor here is they use a ton of Wisconsin cheese it goes edge to edge, and you're cooking this pizza in like a big, uh, heavy metal, rectangular, straight-walled pan, yep. and the cheese is supposed to like caramelize along the edges, and it's so good. <sighs> I'm hungry just thinking about it. Anyways, have you had it, and if so, did you like it? I'll just say no. Um, I'm, I'm not going to classify Rocky Rococo's as that. It's possible that I have had that style somewhere. Uh, it sounds sounds delicious. I mean, it's freaking pizza, man. You know, um, it's like when people want to argue over Chicago style. Like, is that legit, dude? It's it's first of all, whatever you call it, that is the most amazing. I tell you what, if you want to remove that from the pizza conversation, I think that's smart because I think whatever that is, that pie casserole thing, blows whatever pizza you make out of the water. It's 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 just the most gluttonous, delicious, freaking thing ever. But, you know, and then, then you've got, like, the just Chicago-style, like, pizza pizza, which I think is delicious. There's, obviously, New York, and I don't know what other styles there are. I mean, there's Hawaiian, technically, but that's more of, like, a, a toppings thing, I think. It's not like you go to Hawaii and say, I'll have a pizza, and they just make you that. I don't think. I don't know. Who knows? But, no, that sounds good. I mean, it sounds like a, a variation of sort of the Chicago style, where it's, you got the crust, the toppings... And then just a massive amount of cheese. I don't know if you've seen that Chicago thing. Uh, who just did that recently? Oh, I was watching. Never mind. It was a YouTube video I was watching of some barbecue guys that went there. I think Giordano's in Chicago or something. Interestingly enough, they went to a, a giant Weber store or like a Weber restaurant, but it's in Schaumburg. I'm like, dude, that's like down the street from where I grew up. How did I never go there? People fly from all over the freaking world, and I used to live there. Never been there. Maybe it's new. I don't know. But anyways, I think it was a Giordano's or whatever. And you do the pizza pull, and you lift the pizza up as high as you possibly can, and the cheese is still attached to the pizza because it's just an obscene amount of cheese. But yeah, it sounds good. And then you get the caramelized stuff on there, and I'm sure the the crust all the way around is is very, um, I don't know if caramelized is the word, but it's just, it's a nice, like soft but crunchy is kind of how I'm, I'm, I'm picturing it, like crunchy on the outside but still soft. And it, sound, it sounds good. It sounds really good. I would be stunned if it can touch a Chicago-style deep dish, but it sounds like good pizza. And for and just for the official record, I will say that I've never had it. Hey, last wait, thing. wait. Kyle, sorry. Why don't we take a break? We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view 
on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. By the way, sometimes your message doesn't come on, and you know, so if, I, if you get a hangout, that might be what's going on. Just sometimes the "Hey, Packernet Podcast" blah, 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 doesn't come up, so you don't know if you if, if I've reached you. And I think sometimes when you get those hangouts, that's what's going on. Anyway, last thing I need you to help me with a hot take. I got some grief from my family about this weekend. So my aunt brings over this amazing rhubarb, rhubarb, excuse me, rhubarb cobbler. It's awesome. Put the ice cream on there. It's great, dude. The the one of the worst moments of my entire life was when I realized rhubarb is like a pink celery. <laughs> I thought rhubarb was like this magical fruit from somewhere. Rhubarb pie is just so good, and I've oh very rarely eat it, but it's just so delicious. And then I went downstairs and I saw this like pink looking celery. I'm like, what is that? They're like, oh, it's rhubarb. And I I I, I don't know. I don't know if I can ever eat it again. I don't know. Somebody lie to me and just say it's a fruit that's shaped like celery. It's it it tastes it's you, you, please just lie to me. But my point was like rhubarb is freaking garbage. Like what the stuff that you put on the rhubarb to right. make it edible. Right. You, I'm pretty sure you could make You could do that with anything. Like shoe leather taste. Well, it's and I, let's be honest. It's the exact same thing with carrot cake. The the carrot doesn't add and by the way, don't even start with me with your bull crap. Because I know you're... Oh, no, actually, the carrots... (laughs) Shut up. Dude, carrot cake is good. Like, 10% because of the cake. 90% because of the frosting. And 0% because of the carrots. It's like my my wife makes... uh, What the heck? She hasn't made it in a long time, but it's like a... uh, What is it? uh, Cucumber bread or something? Some kind of stupid vegetable bread. And what is it? It's chocolate bread, I think. And it has cucumber in it or something just gross. And it's like, why did you put it in there? First of all, don't even act like this is making it healthy. It's adding nothing to the flavor. The only thing my brain is trying to do is trying to taste it. And I kind of can a little bit. There's like this weird, something's a little bit off. Like when you really dig in and try to eat that part of it. And you're trying not to do that because you're trying to pretend that it's just a normal chocolate freaking bread cake thing. Why are you doing that? It's the same thing when people are like, you ever had broccoli? It's so good. I'm like, Broccoli's trash. Yeah, but have you ever like drowned it in cheese so you can't taste it and it just tastes like cheese? What a stupid thing to say. If the only way to make it taste good is to dump something on it so that you can't taste it, why are we eating it? And again, if you mention health after you just told me to pour a gallon of cheese on it, you're out of your mind. So you're right. Yeah, the, the rhubarb thing, I, I just... I think what we need to do... Figure out how to make rhubarb pie. Take freaking rhubarb out of it and put something else in it. And then you you probably just end up with like an apple pie. But I'm with you, dude. I get yeah, it. With that same process. Like rhubarb itself is just like garbage. I, uh, I'm i really grateful to like the hundreds of thousands of years of ancestors who did, who like figured out all the things that are edible for us. Cause that's oh, yeah. 
Yeah. That's some hardcore trial and error. Kudos, yeah, but I'm sure. pretty sure like rhubarb just fell into the wrong bucket. Cause like, I don't know about that one. I think I could just go cut stuff from my, my yard and treat it like, you know, rhubarb yeah. and it would taste great. Uh, because rhubarb on its own, if you've ever just tried it when I was a kid, my grandma was like, here, you can eat this plant. And I'm like, uh, are you joking? Like, it's disgusting. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah. even, it's gross. All right, so I need to know once and for all what the verdict on Dude, rhubarb I'm, is. And I'm, I'm telling you. you, it's this freaking vegetable cult. This is this is why I'm so unmoved about vegetables, because you have to, like, hide it in things that taste good. You don't have to do that with things that taste good. You don't. That's why it's like a mortal sin to put A1 sauce on a steak. Because the, the act of covering it up with that garbage is, is just unthinkable. Because you're hiding the most delicious flavor. Vegetables always have to be hidden or shaped like meat or something. It's, it's you know, and again, it's just, it's this, this pushing nonsense. Oh, it's delicious rhubarb. No, it's not. You have baked the rhubarb down into mush so that it has the consistency of apples and then put so much freaking sugar and strawberries you probably mixed in there or something. There's like a strawberry fruity kind of taste in here. And you're trying to tell, oh, it's rhubarb. It's really good. This is like from the rhubarb lobbyists who are trying to push it. By the way, this, this stuff has happened before. Like with milk. The reason we drink so much cow's milk, I, I think I just told you this story. I don't, I don't even remember exactly how it worked, but it was something to the effect of like we mass-produced a bunch of milk so that we could send it overseas during the war. And then when people came back, like, nobody wanted to drink it because that's just stupid. Who would drink cow's milk? So they started putting, like, marketing campaigns together about how great cow's milk is and everybody should drink it. It makes you super strong and healthy and all this crap. And really, it's just like, we got so much cow's milk, we don't know what to do with it. What are we going to do with all this crap? We don't want the economy to go to crap with all these people that we told to start breeding cows so we can send our soldiers some nutrients to just start, you know... Not having cows, no. so so it's, we just let's just put some commercials together and tell everybody it's super wonderful and it'll be great. I think there was something similar with toothpaste. It was just like some fake BS campaign. I think I read that in one of the uh, it was like a marketing book. Like somebody just hit on this marketing thing about like how I'm not saying you shouldn't brush your teeth, obviously, but I, I don't remember exactly what it was. But it was it was it was just some kind of marketing thing with tooth, and then all of a sudden like everybody just does it all the time. Like oh yeah, this is what you do. You got to do it because somebody told me at a commercial back in like the forties. I think it might have had something to do with like a specific ingredient in it where it was like, oh, you have to, I don't know if it was like baking soda or something and, and it really didn't have any benefit to it, but I don't know. It was something to that effect where it's like, oh, now everybody needs it because it's so important and it's really just kind of stupid and it was a marketing ploy and everybody fell for it and now it's become like a standard based on nothing. But you're right. I don't get it. I don't know why we have to put garbage. By the way, you know what I just heard recently? Do you know why A1 sauce was invented? this goes for a lot of other sauces, I'm sure. Like, things that we put to cover up the taste of food. It's because back in the day, when they didn't have, like, really good refrigeration and stuff, and you'd go to a restaurant, and they had a bunch of meat to serve people, there's a very good chance that some of that meat was spoiled. And so they would serve you meat that was, like, literally rancid. And so somebody came up with a sauce to cover up the taste of rancid meat. So you can understand why it would be insulting for someone to slather A1 sauce on one of your steaks. That's why we have that. The purpose is to cover up rancid flavor. And that's essentially what rhubarb pie is. Nobody wants to eat frickin' rhubarb. So dumb. It's so dumb. Oh, zucchini bread. That's what it is. Frickin' zucchini bread. Oh, no, it makes it more moist. No, it doesn't. First of all, it's not even that moist. 
Okay, I go to the the freaking grocery store right now and get this little pack of like fruity bread and take it out of a package that's been sitting there for a week. It's it's super moist. Okay, it's not that hard to make stuff moist. You don't need freaking zucchini to make it moist. Put in more butter or something. I don't know. Egg. I don't know what m- things make things moisture ish. But it ain't freaking zucchini. Why would that be? Why is that a thing? I'm gonna ask the robot. Why is zucchini bread a thing? Zucchini bread is a thing. This is Bard, by the way. It's a Google. It's not as good, but it's just, it's faster, so I use it. It's a thing because it's a delicious and versatile way to use up zucchini. I love to use up. So, so you got leftover zucchini. You don't know what to do with it. You hide it in delicious dessert and hope that nobody can taste it. Throw it in the garbage. Well, I got leftovers. I don't know what to do with it. Throw it away. Zucchini is a summer squash that is high in water, so it can help bake goods moist and flavorful. Bullcrap. It's not how that works. And what flavor are you trying to put in chocolate bread? So I gave four reasons here. Great way to use up zucchini. Very versatile vegetable that can be used in a variety of dishes, but it can sometimes be difficult to know what to do with it all. So that's, that's why it exists. And it's, I would say it's the same thing with rhubarb, but why are you buying rhubarb? I've, I've never heard of rhubarb in other, any other context other than rhubarb pie. Ever. So you're buying it specifically for rhubarb pie, or, or in your case, rhubarb, whatever you use a cobbler. Basically a pie. Just doesn't have the crust or whatever. Oh, I, 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 I appreciate your call, man, and I'm glad I'm not alone in this. I don't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. Why are you putting crap in something that tastes good? Just don't ever buy rhubarb. Don't grow rhubarb. It has no purpose on this planet. What is the point of rhubarb? I'm going to ask the robot. Phrase it just like that. What is the point of rhubarb? Tart vegetable often used in pies, crumbles, and other desserts. So that's it. That's it. It is a dessert vegetable. Ugh! Can also be used in savory dishes such as rhubarb chicken and rhubarb stir fry. No, dude, it's not any of these things, okay? It doesn't have a home. It doesn't have a purpose. It's trying to fit in where it doesn't belong. Here are some tips for cooking rhubarb. Rhubarb leaves are poisonous. Huh. Rhubarb leaves contain oxalic acid, which can be toxic if consumed in large amounts. Only the stalks of the rhubarb plant are edible. God is trying to tell you not to eat this crap. He did his best, okay? He put poison leaves all around it saying, don't eat it. Okay, don't do it. And what do we do? Again, trial and error. Again, you got to give these guys credit. I'm with you. How many people had to die trying to eat rancid old animals and just wouldn't give up, man? Like, no, we can salvage this. I know there's a way to make this nasty cow's leg taste good. Freaking eating horse, eating a giraffe, you know? And they just figured it out. You know, eventually they got the fire thing down and for some reason felt like putting the meat over the fire. No idea why they would do that for a really long time and then ate it. And it was like, dude, this is freaking amazing. I don't know why we're doing this random stuff, but it's great. By the way, get way off topic here. And this is relatively easy to answer from a Garden of Eden standpoint. But let's, let's leave that out of it and just assume that there's like human beings, like aliens just dropped off this species that they just built out of nowhere. And they didn't give them any tips or advice or anything. It just took off. How in the heck do you know what to do? How do you know? How do you like? I I have this feeling, and I don't know what it is, but I just have this craving to go bite that tree. You know what I mean? Like, what do you? What do you? How do you? Why wouldn't you just starve to death? Like, I feel like I really need something, but I don't know what. You don't know what eating is. Like, I'm breathing through my neck, and I'm gonna shove something in there. No, I'm gonna suffocate. I don't know that I can swallow stuff. I'm dying of thirst. Okay. What do you do? You don't even know what thirst is. You just know you don't feel good. Really craving something, you don't know what it is. You just see like a lake and you dive in and start drinking. 
And again, the eating thing may, may be that, but the eating thing, can you imagine that? Like, I, I, even, even if you're hungry, why would you stab an animal or, or beat the crap out of it with a rock and then start eating it? I can't imagine that. Like, you're walking around like, ooh, here's some berries, and these taste good, and they're kind of, you know, satisfying or whatever. You know what? That freaking uh, elephant over there? What if me and the boys get over and just beat the living crap out of it and try to eat its ear? I wonder what happened. I wonder if it tastes good. Did you just eat everything, like dirt and rocks, just to see how it goes? Because I'd probably rather eat a rock before I just killed a random animal and tried to see what its insides tasted like. That sounds disgusting. Again, kudos. But how? who came to that conclusion? Like, Frank, get the boys. Hey, what's up, Rob? I got an idea. Are you want to smack rocks again? No, 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 no. Jimmy's an idiot. He said he saw some kind of spark or some kind of thing. I don't even know what that word spark means, but he saw something. He's a liar. He's an idiot. Hey, I got another idea. See that that uh, big animal? What if we just beat it to death? Why would we do that? Well, I was thinking we could eat it. <laughs> Why? And then again, you eat it. It's horrible. You're probably throwing up because you're eating like it's skin and hair and whatever. And then you're like, no. I think we should continue bludgeoning animals to death and trying that, because I just feel like there's something here. Like, th- wouldn't you rather eat the fruit? Like, dude, we got strawberries. I'd rather eat some strawberries, dude. That blood is nasty. I don't know why you're obsessed with it. I wonder if it's like some freaky fetish thing, you know? You know, there's like cannibal human beings that are super weird. Maybe it was like some brain condition, some freak that started doing it, and then maybe other people are just like, oh, that's like a normal thing. We should all do it, and that's why we eat meat. So this is how my brain works. Anyways, uh, yeah, I'm with you. Hey, Ryan, it's Jimmy. Um, I don't think this question has been asked before. If it has, you know, just hang up. Uh, I will continue to listen to the next one. But uh, I've been seeing a lot of The Office lately and uh, because my my girlfriend needs to have something on when she's falling asleep. That's me. And my wife doesn't like it. She's like, all right, turn the TV off. I'm like, no, because, like, I have to be asleep first. Not the TV. Because if the TV's off, then I'm, like, uncomfortable. And I can't sleep. So it just needs to, like, lull me to sleep. So, yeah, that's that's me. And the office is the choice, generally. And so I've just been cycling through all the seasons. Yep. And uh, it's Doing a joy. It's a joy to fall asleep to every night. Um, it's like- By the way, there there is a science out there somewhere about this. Because there are some shows you don't fall asleep to. Like my, So I here's how this works. I usually go to bed first. And I'm watching The Office. And my wife comes in, and I will turn it off, and then we'll turn on Thousand Pound Sisters, which I I finally got my wife to watch. She was refusing. I, I made a joke out of it over and over and over. Like, we should watch it. I'm not watching it. It's disgusting. She's like, they bathe, and they're always naked all the time and stuff. I think she was thinking of the other show where, for some reason, they always show them like trying to take a shower, which is pretty gross. She's like, I'm not doing that. I don't know why they. it's gross. I'm not watching that. Well, I just turned it on, and then she started to get into it. Now we're watching it. Great show. But Thousand Pound Sisters is not a fall-asleep-to show. Any kind of show where you, you, you are engaged and you really need to be watching it, it's not a good show. Sitcoms are usually pretty good, because it doesn't matter. There's not like some thing where if you miss 10 minutes, you're, you're screwed. I fall asleep, I miss the next six episodes on The Office, and then I wake up, I start again, and I'm just like, oh, I'm on the new season. Like, that's crazy, I don't really care. Who cares? Maybe you got to do a once-through or something in order to be able to do that. But there are some shows that are fine to watch. You know, like nature shows, who cares? Lions humping another lion or something. Like, okay, just pass out. 
But, you know, you start watching some of those cooking competition shows, and it's like you're, you're fighting it like, oh, I missed it. Rewind. And you're just passing out. So, anyways, there's there there are shows that are fall asleep to shows, and there are shows that are terrible for them. I keep catching these random scenes. I'm just wondering if you have, if you're able to name a favorite office scene. Uh, scene? And, again, if it's already been asked and answered, forgive me. Um, but I will throw out, I think, the thing that cracks me up most and most instantly every time I see it is the whole parkour sequence. Yep. I can't I can't get enough of it. I really enjoy Prison Mike as well. Uh, Prison Mike is, is right up there. But uh, I think parkour is probably my favorite. My favorite. Or maybe, here's a better, what's your favorite cold open for them? Because it seems like their openings are always like their own independent thing, which, uh, uh, <clears throat> which are, you know, sometimes I think the funniest parts. Uh, anyway, uh, go office, go you know what also is funny about The Office is how many storylines are going on in one episode. Even when you know what episode is coming, you kind of forget all the little minor storylines that go on within that. There's not just like one thing that's happening. There's like eight or nine different things that are happening simultaneously. Cold open. So again, I'm going to have to try to find a list. I shouldn't need a list because, you know, I've seen it a billion times, but I do. And because The Office fans are absolutely nuts, there is a The Office Wiki list of cold opens. This might take me a minute, but I'll find one. So Dwight's desk in the bathroom is pretty decent. The updog thing is actually kind of funny. It's nothing super fantastic, but it, it always gets me a chuckle just because I think Steve Carell is actually an incredible actor. There, there's a varying there's varying degrees of acting within the office. Some of them are better than others. I'm I am continually blown away at how good he is at acting. I even just try to think to myself sometimes, like, could I do that just one little scene? The way his facial expressions work and everything else, I can't. There's no way I could ever do it. And and I think Updog is one of them. His delivery on some of that when he tries to get Updog uh, to work is... I, I think that's a funny one. I can tell you what the worst cold open is. And every time I see it, I'm like, I cannot believe this, first of all, was ever written. And second of all, was actually left in. But it's when Michael imitates the baby from Look Who's Talking. He crawls under the desk. says, look at me, I'm a baby. That is just the... That is the worst scene in, I think, all of The Office. Oh, the dead goose. That's that. That is one of my favorite episodes. That the the Christmas episodes are fantastic, and the Benihana one is just next level. One of the hardest I've ever laughed watching The Office is when uh, Dwight is too far away to be able to hear the conversation, and so Jim at Benihana tricks Dwight into believing that the waitress wants to butcher a goose but doesn't know how so of course they're not talking about that at all they're joking about casual things and dwight just yells out from across the table to the waitress and says grab it by the top of the head pull its head back slide its slide the knife into the jugular and pull across (laughs) that wasn't a cold open but that was one of my favorite scenes ever along with uh drink some soap laugh so hard there's the call from david wallace about the corporate job he says he I didn't prepare a speech. That's all right. May God guide you on your quest. Yes. Plus, that's Beach Day. That's another one of my favorite episodes. The Kit Kat bar one is good. Andy can't remember the Kit Kat bar thing. Uh, I don't know. These... Oh, all right. I think I got it. I've been reading for way too long, and this one's really funny, and I doubt anything's going to top it, even if something might. I don't know. It's when Daryl's grandma passed away, and they got him a card, and everybody thought it was his birthday. <laughs> And it's like, whoop, whoop, let's celebrate, big guy. Days like this don't come along <laughs> enough for something. You deserve this. 
I freaking love that. That one, that one's my favorite right there. I'm calling it. I'm not reading anymore. Speaking of calling it, I think I'm going to leave it at that. You guys have a good rest of your night. Uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.